And welcome to the latest Miami Sports Pod. Will Manso with Clay Ferrero on another busy weekend in South Florida sports and included another Dolphins win, Clay, four in a row. We'll get into the Dolphins and Tua and the way he's played and this team all of a sudden red hot. But I think the main topic of conversation once again is going to be uh, the future of Manny Diaz. What happens next for the Miami Hurricanes? And Clay, this was an active weekend in college football. The Gators found their head coach. Kudos to you, by the way. You liked Billy Napier, right? You you were on that train a couple of weeks ago when we talked about coaching changes. Yeah, you talk about somebody who's got the type of experience to go into an SEC school and and know how to recruit and know the yeah. ball game and, and knows that that's just a, a much different animal than going anywhere else. And, and obviously, being a Virginia Tech guy, you started kind of me. I started canvassing kind of the, uh, <laughs> the guys who've been available. And all, everything I'd heard was that he was very high – on mm-hmm. Virginia Tech's list, not sure if he was number one, but certainly way up there. And I, I think the the hope as a Virginia Tech fan was that, hey, Florida, it's Florida. Like, they're not just going to mm-hmm. go out and, and get a group of five head coach. And yet, when you know what you know about Billy Napier and, and his background, and also he's somebody who easily could have taken an SEC job last year, Auburn mm-hmm. and South Carolina were both very interested He's somebody who's very demanding. He's somebody who knows what it takes to run a top caliber program. And he's not for everybody because he's not somebody who's going to want an, an athletic director who's breathing down his neck. Yeah. And and also somebody who's not going to give him the resources that he needs to do what he wants to do. That's where Florida comes into play. It's, it's a school with, you know, Strickland is not going to be somebody who's micromanaging. Mm-hmm. And it's also a school that has ridiculous funding. So for a school that just fired somebody who basically said it's not recruiting season right now to bring in somebody who is going to be a top-notch recruiter at the base level. You can see see pretty clearly why they went that direction. Well, so the Gators go in that direction. It's another coaching candidate that I I don't think was ever going to be an option for the Miami Hurricanes because I I truly, and this is where I want to sit on the the coaching situation, I truly believe that Following this win, you know, over the weekend at Duke, which you knew they'd get, Duke's terrible. Seven and five finish, but three tough losses in conference. Once again, not playing for an ACC title, losing these games where you can point to coaching as an issue. Manny, I think, lost his job for the most part, that Florida State finish. You and I talked about it after that game. But the question, I think, in the minds of a lot of Canes fans as we record and as this weekend came to an end and a new week begins why hasn't Manny been let go? One of the stories that that came out that Manny himself said following the win at Duke was Manny said, hey, I'm going recruiting tomorrow. You know, I, I'm going to be in, in some living rooms and and other coachings, coaches are going to go to different areas. And basically, the world goes on for the Miami Hurricanes football program. And Manny even said it's a two and a half week sprint to what comes next and the end of recruiting and how you get. So when you think about that, Clay, that doesn't make Canes fans happy. And here's the two. I, I want to I want to get your take, but here's my take on it simply. I think that if the Canes were keeping Manny, I think they would have told him already. I think that that would have been done. And I think that as disappointing as that would have been to so many Hurricanes fans, life would move forward. The fact that he has not been let go to me is a signal that the Hurricanes are just in a position now where they don't want to be without an AD and the head coach. They want to allow that new athletic director, which I hope would that decision would come sometime in the next week. They want to allow that new athletic director an opportunity to say, hey, Manny, thanks for your service for three years, but we're moving on and I'm going to find the new head coach. I can't imagine that they're in a position right now where they're deciding on what to do with Manny and leave it up to the next AD to keep him. Because as a new AD, why would you want to create that environment right off the bat. Now, I do know that it gives off a sense of dysfunction within the program. I mean, even former Canes baseball coach Jim Morris had a tweet 
on Sunday, kind of looking at the dysfunction and saying, hey, you got you got to you got to hire first class people. You got to get this thing done, taking a shot, so to speak, at the program. And I agree with them. I mean, you got to make this move forward. But I don't think the fact that they haven't let go of Manny yet is any kind of indication that they're truly going to keep him. No, I, I agree with you. And, and look, I, I think there are a few things at play here. Number one, it is a two and a half week sprint to the first signing day, which means that even if Manny is not going to be the head coach, and, and again, we're working under the assumption that he's not, because I think you and I are both on the same page as that, you still want to have somebody advocating for the university in the living rooms of these recruits who are going to sign on early signing day. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense to give up any sort of chance that you have of getting these guys if they're going to sign on the dotted line on the early signing day. Because, look, even if Manny's not going to be there, even if he sits there in the living room and he's like, I don't know, I, you know, I haven't been told, whatever, you have somebody who it is in his best interest to continue to advocate for the university because I'm sure he still thinks that there's a chance that he's going to keep his job. I would hope so, they have told him, though. Don't you think that they should tell him? Don't you think that at least privately they should say, hey, Manny, you're, we're, we're, we're going to move on from you? I, I mean, I, I'm going to sound heartless here, but no. No, I don't. Right. Because I think it is in the best interest of the University of Miami to have somebody out on the recruiting trail right now mm-hmm. who is advocating for the school. And I, and I also think, look, I, maybe it's a 0.001% chance. But I do think that... There's a world where this coaching carousel. No, don't, so don't create, don't create this world. Oh, not, I, I know, but I, I just think I that you can at least look at this and say, all right, if the AD comes in and, and all the available options that you want, are there, do you really want to tie yourself to somebody who's your plan E, F, or G for who knows how many years, as opposed to just saying, you know what, we're going to go with Manny next year mm-hmm. and, and give him, you know, quote unquote, one more shot, but also the understanding that, if anything's go, if things go south quickly, much like with USC and Clay Helton or LSU and Ed Orgeron, you want to be first in line to get the available candidates in 2022. Because right now it's a tough it's a tough coaching market, man. I, yeah. I mean, like you know that uh, USC just stole guy who would have been the yeah. third best coach, maybe the second best coach in the SEC, just stolen in Lincoln mm-hmm. Riley. Um, you know, Oklahoma is now gonna gonna spin around, and maybe they're looking at Josh Heupel. Maybe they're looking at at a Luke Fickle. Maybe they're looking at a, a Matt Campbell. Like, so the options for Miami, by the time they get an AD in place, maybe down here. See, I, I'm not advocating I, I for think, it. I'm not saying, I, but I, but I do think in a world where where Manny is going to be out there on the trail advocating for you, mm-hmm. it's better to have somebody in the living room of recruits that is at least selling the good of the program and why he wants to stay as the head coach of the University of Miami, as opposed to just giving up any sort of of momentum that you might have with these recruits. See, here's why I agree with you in the sense of like, yeah, you worry about that. I, I, I agree with the logic of it is what I'm saying, but here's why I don't agree with the possibility of it. It's because I think the Canes are in a u- unique position where none of the candidates that they are going to be looking at, the premier candidates that they feel they need to go after and get as you know, a board of trustees putting out the money, as a new athletic director wanting to make sure you have the right person for this program moving forward. See, I don't think that that person is going to take a job elsewhere because I think those persons, those people are, to me, it's Mario Cristobal, 
who is not going anywhere if he if he doesn't come to Miami. He is staying at Oregon. You know that. It might be a pipe dream to some that he would even come to Miami, but he's not going to go anywhere else. You don't have to worry somebody else is going to swoop in and take Mario Cristobal. Then you move on to Lane Kiffin, who you have advocated for, and we have discussed plenty in the last couple of weeks. Lane Kiffin is in a position in the SEC right now with a, a, a double-digit win season at Ole Miss where he can pick and choose and say, hey, if he really wants to be in South Florida and that's the next jump he would make, then he doesn't have to worry about taking other jobs. Lane Kiffin is fine at Ole Miss. He's okay at Ole Miss. And if that is where you don't end up going, you have guys like a Greg Schiano, who's a guy whose name has been attached to UM forever, that maybe you want to go with the – remember we talked about the retread and the experience and kind of the old school mentality. If you want to go in that, that would fit more in like a Mark Richt type of mold, a guy who is at the highest level, has coached, and has experience – and you, you know, you wonder he's not the hot, the new hot shot assistant or a guy like Napier coming from a smaller program that's getting his shot. So again, the reason I don't think that that is so much a time issue and a concern is because I think that the Hurricanes know that the candidates that they're going to go after are not going to go anywhere anytime soon. That said, you can't be without an AD and a head coach for a very long amount of time. You can't, as you mentioned, you got to have a face to the program. So that has to start this week, Clay. They have to hire the athletic director. So, so I, I, they, yeah, before I, I don't think that, they're close. I don't even think they're close. Yet yeah. So before we get into that, I, I think what you hit on is kind of the distinction that let's make this here. My, my scenario, the 0.001% or whatever that Manny stays is is not assuming that somebody like Shia, like basically that your your bottom candidate, you want to make sure that your bottom candidate, that you know you can get, that time is not of the essence, that you're more comfortable giving that that coach a long-term contract, mm-hmm. the contract that it's going to take to make him the head coach. So if you're Greg Shiano is a perfect example. If you're telling me that you're you're happy enough with a Greg Shiano that you would Go after Lane Kiffin. Go after Mario Cristobal. Not in that order, by the way. Go after Cristobal mm-hmm. first. Go after Lane Kiffin. And yeah. then if you strike out on both of those, you could fall back on somebody like Shiano and be comfortable with that as opposed to Manny Diaz. Then, yes, then absolutely Manny's got no shot to keep his job. I, I will still say, and I, I don't know that, again, this is not the, the right thing to do from a human point of view, but this is a cutthroat business, and it is a business you still want to have somebody out on the road recruiting for the University of Miami amid all of this uncertainty because of this early signing day and and decisions Mm -hmm. are going to be made quickly. And by the way, Will, to your point, the fact that you don't have an athletic director lineup and it may not be a quick process, you want to have somebody there in the ear of the recruit selling them on the good of the University of Miami. So if and when things happen, you at least have Miami in the minds of these recruits and whoever the new coach is can swoop in quickly and kind of build on that. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think that's fair in the sense of, of, you know, and again, we're thinking logically, there is a possibility, right? And and this is something we don't want to admit or Canes fans don't want to admit. There's a possibility that the Hurricanes have absolutely no clue what they're doing, that there's so much dysfunction going on in this program. And I know, again, that's something that, that Canes fans want to think, Hey, the key, the, I, as a Kane alum and someone who covers a team, want to believe that the Canes know what they're doing. There's a possibility they don't. There's a possibility <laughs> right now that they're grasping at straws for AD. And, you know, you've heard, obviously, the Uric rumors. And, and whether you want to go in that direction, you've got this, this uh, firm coming in that's going to help in the hiring process, the vetting process. You have no, uh, numerous other candidates, whether they're former players or executives or people in positions at other universities that would love an opportunity at this job. 
that have not gotten the opportunity to even interview yet. So is that a case where the Canes don't have their ducks in a row and they're going to start that this week? Or is it a case where they've targeted one person and, hey, they're just going to talk to that person and if all goes well, offer them the job? And again, York is a guy you hear a lot of. York is, maybe he's the guy. You know, that's 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 the guy that they've wanted and and through back channels or whatever and the communication through people have found out that he would take that job. Maybe that's the case. But they're not making that clear right now. And having right. Manny out there kind of floating around recruiting makes it all seem more dysfunctional. And it's the whole thing that while it may not be dysfunctional, it appears dysfunctional. And Clay, you follow recruiting more than I do. There's nothing worse for recruiting than a school that seems like they don't know what they're doing. Like as a recruit, you want to go to a place that A wants you and B has a plan moving forward to use you and win and get players. And if you see a program like Miami without an AD, without a real course, with a coach who's probably a lame duck and he's going to be done out on the recruiting trail, you're probably second-guessing yourself. Is that really where I want to go and spend the next few years of college? I, all of it just appears dysfunctional, even if it's not. That's interesting. And and look, maybe that's the, the way some of the recruits would view it. I, I guess where I'm coming, coming at it is, if you're the University of Miami, you don't want radio silence between you and the recruits between now and signing day. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what the rules are as far as who from the university outside of coaches mm -hmm. is allowed to have any sort of contacts with recruits. Well, hire an AD then so we can move forward. Like, well, I, no, take, I agree. Been, I agree. It's been that's, two that's weeks. Where, like, we don't know where they are. Two in weeks. Search. No, I agree. I agree. And that's where they are. So I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, I can see where it would benefit UM more to have somebody out on the road advocating for the university. I agree. And, and you know, it would benefit more to have an AD. You know, it would benefit them more to. No, it would benefit them more to have an AD. You're right. No, I agree. But the I, benefit I would be better to have an AD. Don't necessarily go I'm so mad I lost my my, my fuzzy thing. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. But look, I mom's got questions. Like the the moms and the dads of of these recruits. And yes, they're going to ask. All right, well, well, why would I send them to UM? We don't even know if you're going to be there. But they may also have, have questions about the majors and, and there's going to be uh, you need somebody to be a go between to kind of get yeah. those questions answered. I mean, we're not just talking about the top notch recruits who, you know, you're probably not going to steal anybody from Alabama right now. Like it's not going to happen. But you may have some kids who are, are trying to decide and they, they've got and I, I don't know enough about the, the direct recruits that Miami's working mm -hmm. with, but let's say that you're battling a, a mid-level SEC school. Let's say you're battling a Tennessee for somebody right now. And, and like you, you, their, their mom and dad want to know, like, why should I wait around for UM if Tennessee is telling me right now that I either have to sign on early signing day or not sign at all? Like, yeah. what are you going to give me to make it worth my, my while to want to go to UM? So, look, I, I just think there are different levels to this. Is it fair from a human perspective? No, it's not fair to leave Manny spinning in the wind. And yet, I do think UM has to do what's best for UM, which I think we both agree is get the AD in place right I now. I mean, just get it done. It's got to get done this week. I mean, it just has to. Manny did say it on Saturday. Look, we're in the stretch run to recruiting and, and two and a half weeks till we, we have to finish this in December. I mean, you got to have an athletic director. And whatever the Canes are doing has to happen in the next few days. It has to, whether it's the interview process, the offer process, the signing process, get that person in here. Get your decision on the head coach. The, this fan base, this alumni base will explode if Manny Diaz remains the head coach. I think at this point, I don't know how his job is salvageable. And even if that's unfair to Manny, even if there's people, the few defenders left on his resume that say, hey, this is why he should stay. I don't see 
it's not a personal thing. We've talked about it. I think Manny Diaz cares about this program as much as anyone. I think Manny Diaz really does bleed orange and green in what he's wanting to see with this program. I really believe that he has bought into that idea that this program could be special again. And he even said Saturday, look, the best is yet to come. And it might very well be, especially with Tyler Van Dyke. But it, I think the best is yet to come with someone else leading the way because you and I have both said multiple times – Program-wise, the Canes found some things this year. Look, Clay, it's not all bad. Finding your quarterback and having a quarterback now and in, in having a guy that I think, you know, having a guy that in Tyler Van Dyke that truly is the guy, you know, is to me the biggest step of the year. And now as Manny's out recruiting, trying to find guys around that, it just looks it, – it's totally dysfunctional. It's, it's not – the way you want to move forward into an offseason with a guy that you've been rumored to maybe fire for weeks now, still being your head coach as you, again, close out the season and look ahead to a bowl. Uh, and maybe this is where you can provide a level of pers perspective that I can't because from an objective, like a, a not being a fan of UM point of view, I'm looking at this and saying, okay, cutthroat. Like, I get it. I want somebody in the living room that, that is talking about UM. But I can also tell you this, like from the Virginia Tech point of view, there are probably some things about their coaching search that if I told you, hey, this guy's being considered, you'd be, uh, here's, here's an example. Dave Clawson at Wake Forest is somebody who very early on was mentioned in the Virginia Tech coaching search, right? Objectively, Dave Clawson would be a fantastic hire because he's somebody who, man, the guy can coach. He's, he's turned Wake Forest into a really good program uh, relative to who they were before. And it's like, mm -hmm. man, if he goes to a school like Virginia Tech, that's, you know, at least a good football school at their best, man, he can do really well. But I can tell you that Virginia Tech fans wanted nothing to do with him because they were sick and tired about they want a good recruiter in place there because they're sick and tired of losing Virginia recruits. So there's a level there where I mm -hmm. think when you're closer to the program, you you can kind of get a pulse for what what feels right. I mean, and if you're telling me right now that as a UM fan and somebody who follows the program, that Manny being out on the road recruiting for UM, while he's spinning the, in the wind about the, his future at UM, doesn't feel right, I'm going to defer to you. It doesn't like, feel right. I can see from an outside perspective why you would want him on the road. But if somebody who's associated with UM as you are and people who are fans and alumni don't want him out there, they probably shouldn't again, be out there. Again, I don't see – it is hard to – and we'll make this clear as we wrap up this chat. I get that it's hard to be a program without an athletic director and a head coach at the same time. It's a very unique spot. You mentioned earlier talking about Virginia Tech. You know, Fuente's gone – there's still leadership there in place that seems right. to have an idea where yep. the program is going. You have an athletic director now search going on that doesn't seem to be going anywhere. And again, behind the scenes, I'm sure there's work being done, but it certainly doesn't appear to be getting done. You know, like it needs to get done. It's two weeks now of this. Then you have a head coach as the season ends who's sitting there going, I haven't been told anything. I mean, and I believe Manny. I believe that Manny hasn't been I told, which, by the way, looks worse on UM than it does on Manny, because to me, you tell Manny, Manny, we're moving on. We moved on with Blake James. Yep. We're moving on with you. I End it. of story. Whether there's buyout stuff and financial stuff, that all stuff gets figured out. But finding your head coach and finding your AD is priority number one, and the Kings have to get take care of that. They have to get that done. And the perception now is dysfunction, and it's frustrating because, again, you you mentioned this for me being an alum, for me being a fan, for me somebody who covers the program, and for all the alums, this program should be better. 
you were at that event the other day with those former players. They believe it will be better and something needs to happen in the next week. And if we're chatting next week and they still don't have an AD and Manny's still recruiting, oh my God, I I wouldn't even know where to start on the level of frustration. So that's where we stand on that. And that's where, at least as we tape, we stand on the search for a new AD and potentially new head coach at the University of Miami. Let's talk some Dolphins. About the Dolphins. Four-game winning streak. Uh, Clay, all of a sudden, I, I... I, they're kind of in the playoff hunt, aren't they? they I mean, are. they could they thank are. their defense, and we'll get into two in a moment, but they are taking care of business, and they're doing it in the way that we anticipated. Two or three short passes, trying to find Jalen Waddle for big plays, trying to avoid the big mistake. Defense trying to get the big mistake from the opposing team and pressuring the quarterback. Special teams playing well. That was the formula that the 1-7 and seven team never showed, but the four-in-a-row team is starting to show, and now all of a sudden you're believing that maybe – this team isn't as bad as a month ago we thought was one of the worst teams in football. Is now a team that can hang around in 500 and make a push down the stretch to flirt with a playoff spot. Well, yeah, and look, being completely honest, they've beaten three terrible teams and a good they have. Team on a Thursday. And this is not making an excuse for Baltimore. It's a Thursday night game, whatever. But you you play take advantage of your circumstances. Played on Thursday yeah. night. Yeah. Um, you know, we could sit here and we could say all oh, three of those teams were terrible. Well, hey, look at the next three games that they've got coming up. Mm-hmm. I mean, Giants, there is a, Jets. there's a realistic scenario where if they just play at or near the level that they've played the last four weeks, we're talking about a seven and seven football team. And then that would be what the, the game in New Orleans, right? Isn't that the, the next game? Monday night game. Yeah. So you got what you got the Giants coming to town next Sunday, which we'll talk a little bit about later. And then we got the, the Jets. You got the Jets game for the Dolphins. And then it would be, so if they win those two, they're seven and seven. You've got to think they'll be the favorite in those two. And if they play any kind of defense the way they have, they're seven and seven going into a Monday night game in New Orleans, which as you know, well, as our resident New Orleans expert, they're all banged up. Who knows what you're going to have out there in a few weeks. I know. I'm sorry, Clay. You're getting all misty over here. The Saints right now are a, the, the team that they're rolling out there right now is who you should roll out for the fourth preseason game. If the fourth preseason yeah, it's game hard to still watch. existed. Yeah. But nobody, nobody wants to hear my my ranting on but that. Like, but no, the bottom line being, look, if you're if you're looking at the Dolphins, the disaster that was the early part of this season, mm-hmm. at the very least now, not only have you won some games, but whatever cloud was hanging over this season because mm-hmm. of the Deshaun Watson mess, man, it's, it's gone. Isn't it funny? We haven't mentioned him in a couple of weeks. No. And, and it leads to the topic of Tua Tungvaloa. Clay, on Sunday against the Panthers, he completed 87% of his passes. The week before, he completed 82% of his passes. He took a shot deep last week. Remember the big play? Obviously, everybody talked about the Mac Hollins. This week, it was much more you know, efficient, accurate. It's kind of on brand with what Tua was supposed to be. I think we're starting to see who Tua is, what he could be. And I'm liking it. And I think too many people get caught up on what they think he should be. And they look at the big arms of Justin Herbert. And they look at the Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball sidearm and sideways all over the field. And sometimes you just have to understand that not every quarterback is built the same way. And to his success, even in college, and what you thought he'd be in the NFL, was built on the idea that he can be an efficient, a smart, accurate passer. And we are starting to see that, Clay. I'm buying in that Tua is starting to show a little bit about what everybody expected he might just be. Yeah, and I think that going into the season, they had visions of, you know, you have a deep threat with Will Fuller. Jalen Waddle. I think they were hoping, could do a little bit more deep stuff. But then Fuller didn't get on the field. Devontae Parker is, is in and out of the lineup. And your offensive line was a disaster. Like, mm-hmm. he's not going to give two enough time. 
for those deep routes down the field, the, the routes that take a little bit longer to develop. Yep. So you had to kind of pivot. And look, I, I think that this does two things. Number one, it allows Tua to, to operate with these routes and these throws that he's more comfortable with. Number two, though, it protects him from himself in many ways. So I think the one thing about Tua, when we saw this at Alabama, and I think unfortunately we've seen this in the NFL, is part of the reason why he struggled with injuries is he stays in the pocket a little too long. There's not the there's not necessarily the feel for when to get out, when to throw the ball away that mm-hmm. you need to have when you're not a bigger quarterback, somebody who's going to be able to withstand the pounding that comes with the NFL schedule. So I think what you've seen right now is them kind of evolve from what they were hoping to be to who they actually are and who they're yeah. going to be for the duration of the season. And like that's okay. Is it going to win you the Super Bowl? No, but. It, it's going to give you a team that I, I truly believe can win these next couple of games, get to seven and seven, and then all of a sudden in an AFC that, I, I mean, you got seven playoff spots now, you're right there. So yeah. it's it's just funny to me how quickly things have changed. And, you know, it, it makes me wonder how at the end of the season you're going to evaluate too. Are you going to evaluate, can we win mm-hmm. with him and a great supporting cast or are we just going to look outside our quarterback room and, and try to bring in somebody who can elevate a yeah. franchise that is is on the fringe of, yeah. of being a team that could make a run, but is not good enough to have a quarterback that you can win with instead of yeah. because of, if that because, makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think, but there are two things there that I want to talk about that you mentioned. And one being what the Dolphins could be. It's not like we're sitting here trying to fool anyone that the Dolphins are going to the Super Bowl this year. And I don't think even the most optimistic Dolphin right now is sitting there listening to this or watching that team thinking, hey, we've turned the corner. We're a Super Bowl team. We're even a playoff contender that could win a few games in the postseason type of team. It's not that. This season was all about the development of Tua, the next step, right? Then it got derailed with the Deshaun Watson stuff and all the other things. Look, Tua's gotten also hurt a couple times. There have been issues there. I get it. But what the Dolphins can be, I think we're starting to see a little bit, Clay, and that's they can be a quality team that can win ugly games, that can as, uh, on offensively actually move the chains and move the football as they have, even despite the fact that they don't have a good offensive line. And we saw it at many times, even in a blowout win, we saw the ugly offensive line play against Carolina. They don't necessarily have the playmakers they thought they have between Devontae Parker and Will Fuller. Jalen Waddle's been excellent. Kasiki is a guy they need to resign and get long-term. Uh no real ground game. Gaskin is the wildcat, and that form has been really nice. But again, it's not that grinded out kind of guy. They picked up Philip Lindsay, who I thought ran well against yeah. Carolina, a couple tough runs. But what, I guess what I'm getting to is that this is still a work in progress. But I think we're starting to see where a month ago, right, the progress looked like it had taken a step all the way down here again, right, where it started the season here, now you're down here. You wanted to get up here. I think you're back here again. You know yeah. what I mean? And and I think yeah. now you can start nudging the rest of the season toward where you want to be. And then in the off season, you can figure out, okay, we need to address the O-line. We can't be a true contender without that. We need to get a consistent ground game, whether it's a new running back or whatever it may be, or the, a, a newer O-line helps that, whatever the case may be. But I think the question on Tua Tunga Baloa, and that's where I'm going to next, is do you have your quarterback? Because what you mentioned about other guys, right, is interesting to me because – you knew a year and a half ago, too, wasn't that other guy. Mm-hmm. No one ever, no scout, no fan, no media member ever confused Tua Tungabaloa for Patrick Mahomes. No one ever confused Tua Tungabaloa for the stars of the NFL as far as the guys. No one, like, let's stay with the franchise. Nobody says he was going to be Dan Marino, right? 
There's no one that ever confused him with that. But what you're seeing in Tua now kind of is what you thought he might be, Clay. And that's why when we talk about his 16 game, he has now started 16 games for the Miami Dolphins. Okay, that's 16 starts for Tua Tungvaloa. And I'm going to steal uh, some stats for you, all right? From the okay. great Travis Winfield, who, who does a great job covering the, the Dolphins. Uh, he has his own podcast with the Finns. He works for the team, does great work on social media. And Travis tweeted out the first 16 starts of Tua's career. 351 of 524, that's 67% passing completion percentage, 3,515 yards, 21 passing touchdowns to go with 11 interceptions, a passer rating of 90.5, and six rushing touchdowns. You take that into consideration with the fact that, A, he was yanked a couple of times last year for Ryan Fitzpatrick mid-game. B is, we already talked about the poor offensive line, the lack of weapons, then you get into the whole months of Deshaun Watson rumors. Then you get into something that, again, it's on him, and that's the injuries and trying to stay healthy. And finally, finally, post-Deshaun Watson and post-injuries, you're getting him playing week in and week out the last few weeks, and three of his last four games have been above 100 passer rating games. And now two games in a row, he's been mid-80s and above completion percentage in Dolphins wins. Clay, if you would have told me when he got drafted that 16 games in his career, those would be his stats, and this is where two would be as a player, I would have said, good, yep. I'll take it. Yep. So why aren't we taking it is my question. Why aren't we taking it? Why is I, I mean, I, I, think everybody has, not I think everybody has a different answer that I can tell you mine. I, I'm still concerned that he's not going to be able to stay healthy. And, Fair. Fair. And, and, you know, I it's – he still hasn't shown me that he has the feel for, for how to avoid the big hit. It happens way too often. And, you know, part of that is, and look, if you, but do you think part of it was against line, Carolina, do you think like Carolina, he took a couple of things. There was some really bad offensive line play. Yeah, for sure. And look, I, it should get better. And yet he had a really good offensive line in Alabama and he still got himself into trouble there. Um, so, you know, I, I just think that some of the same issues that I had and the questions that I had with him in college, he hasn't shown to me yet that he can fix them. And, you know, I, I think if, if you want a grade, which is what the, the, yeah, give me a grade. Uh, the, the bar says right there. I mean, when he plays, I, I'm comfortable saying that I've, I've seen a, a B minus C plus type quarterback, but I have to factor in the injury. And, and so you injury, would say that the injuries were an issue in your mind already, like pre-draft you yes. were, because I will say this to give people background, when you and I in the last week before the draft, I said to you on our Sunday night show, who are you drafting? If you're the Miami Dolphins, you said Justin Herbert, Yep. you said who has, by the way, has struggled a bit now, but obviously yes, yeah. he's a completely different quarterback than Tua right. when it comes to size and what he does on the field. But you felt that type of quarterback. So your your issue with two and not necessarily the production or what he could do. It's more he's got to prove that he could do it over an extended period of time of an NFL career. Yeah, it's a combination. And and I think it's look, if you're not going to have this people like to use Drew Brees, right? And and mm -hmm. Drew Brees because he's a smaller quarterback and you know, oh well he could do it, so so Tua can do it. They're both smaller guys, whatever. The the fallacy there, and Russell Wilson's another one. The fallacy yep. there is Drew Brady's actually had a, a pretty – not not an elite arm, but you go back and you look at the Saints in 2009 through 2011, like at two years, three years post his shoulder surgery, the Duke could throw way down the field. I mean, that was not a problem. Um, 
And the other thing about Breeze is he, uh, once he got through the shoulder issue, the dude did not miss games. And it was never an issue of him not having pocket presence, not feeling the pressure. He had one really nasty hit that he took against Indianapolis in the, in the playoff game and he injured the shoulder. So to me, it's okay. If you're not going to have the elite arm, if you're going to need to be precise and rely mm-hmm. on that, then everything else has to be a, a plus. I'm talking about durability. I'm but talking durab- about durability. Pocket. Yeah. You talk about durability on his, not everything else around him. You mean his no, own. No. And, and look, part of that is if you're going to have a, a C minus offensive line, right. being and kind. that may be you're being, being kind. kind, you're being kind. If you're going to have a D offensive line, much better. You got to know, man, you, you got to be able to get rid of the football and look going up against, Hey, look, Carolina actually has some. Yeah, some Brian pretty, Burns could come after you. Yeah. That guy's, yeah. That guy's a stud. So look, this was one game where I, I think it was, there was some, some encouraging signs there. Carolina's also nose diving right now. So you don't know like what's what's going on there. But I I need to see more of him being able to feel the pressure uh, operating this this quick short efficient game and having it work against better teams. And that's well, something we haven't seen yet. And and look the, ba- not, the Baltimore not game, consistently at least not consistently. Right, right. Look the Baltimore game he did what he needed to do once he came in for for Jacoby Brissett. That was a game that the defense won. And, yeah, and, he, and he wasn't even close to 100% that no. game. I mean, he didn't even start. Right. So let's see once they get – I, I don't even know that I would have any answer for this after these three games. I mean, I, I tend to believe, Will, that this Dolphins team, maybe the closest we've seen to them being who they are against a good team was against the Bills in Buffalo. And, yeah. and again, they really hung in there. Um, and it felt like they were kind of playing for their season at that point. But, hey, they gave Buffalo a decent shot in that game. And – we have not seen them outside of that Thursday night game where the defense just absolutely confused uh, the Ravens offense and Lamar Jackson did a great job against them. We haven't really seen where the offense has had to go out and win a football game against a really good team. Unless and until Tua can do that, I don't really care about the numbers. I don't really care about, hey, he's he's efficient. It's, it's uh, it compares his passer rating to Patrick. I don't care about any of that. I need to see a guy that goes out there and wins a game against a few good teams yeah, before I'm that, ready to stop looking outside of our quarterback room. Well, look, I'll give I give him a B plus when he's healthy, but that goes to a B because he has been nicked a bit and there's missed a couple of games because of it in his first couple of years. He has had a couple of injuries, and I think that certainly was the knock going into his NFL career. But at the same time, I just find it hard. I can't knock a guy for being who I believe that guy is. And what I think Tua is, is an accurate, efficient passer who can avoid the big mistakes when things around them go well. If he's look, the, the, the biggest knock on Tua outside of durability is decision-making above the first read, right? So when he makes that quick play and he can shuffle his feet and find a Jalen Waddle on a slant or go out to a Gasicki on the sideline or a quick little dump off pass to running back, whatever it may be, he's efficient, man. He's effective. And we've seen it these last two weeks. I think the knock would be, when he has to go to that second or third read, and then that the pressure starts to cave in, right. what happens? And that's a completely fair thing to assess. It's a completely fair thing to still want to see more of. And as you pointed out, against good teams, that's something that's very important. But I guess to me, through 16-game sample size that we use as a starter, I am okay where Tua is. And if the Dolphins decide this offseason they're going to get back in the Deshaun Watson talk, I understand. We've talked about it plenty. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL 
already. There's no question about that. Obviously, the off-field stuff. But for Tua, he's been what I thought he could be. And now because, coupled with the defense playing well, they are winning some games. They're going to have a chance later in the year to win games against better teams. We, we know that's coming. Uh, we also know that two weeks from now, we could be looking at them having lost to the Giants and Jets and say, oh my God, what happened to this team? Because we know their, their margin for error is very thin. But I do like the direction they're going. And to me, uh, I give to a strong B through his 16 games. You know what else uh, I got to get in on, though, is that their next game, Clay, as we know this, is uh, the Giants. And this is my, uh, my team. And I, I, I got tickets, I'll confess. I have tickets to the game next Sunday for my family, my spouse, uh, my two oldest children, my, my teenage girls. Uh, we are going. Miss, mix match of, of mismatch of all colors, not the Miami Heat mi- uh, mix and match colors. We're talking about like, uh, you know, dolphin shirts with Giants hats, and I got everything ready for the girls because I'm trying to teach them to be good Giants fans. But, you know, they're from South Florida. They were born here. So I want them to also root for the Dolphins as I have. So what would you say? What would you say is the best look for me, Clay? Because I have an idea. I have a look that I'm going for. What do you think? So I know the best look, but let me share with you the best way to brainwash your children. And this Uh-oh. was uh, from one of our old producers, Tori McMahon, who was a big Dolphins fan. And uh, I, I, uh, she, she told me one day how her father brainwashed her sister and, and her to become Dolphins fans. How so? Every time the Dolphins would score, they got to get a treat from the concession stand. Oh, wow. So it was ingrained in them. It was like uh, an uh, Pavlovian response. Like it's the Giants. Once the Giants see what you got to do when the Giants score, you got to tell your girls, man, hey, you want a you want a hot dog? You want some nachos? Go ahead. Because then, when the Giants get on the goal line, they start salivating like Pavlov's dog. Man, it becomes it becomes a, a response mechanism sort of thing. And so she said that every time that the Dolphins would do something good, her father would buy them treats. So, of course, then they started cheering for the Dolphins to do well. And then over time, they started rooting for the Dolphins, not because of their their stomach and, and their taste buds, but because they love the Dolphins. See, I always tell them, you want to see Daddy happy, root for the Giants. Yeah, That's the way it works. Care about if you want to see Daddy happy, yeah, happy, always root for the Giants. But the Dolphins are okay. I, I don't care if they wear Dolphins gear, but I have my – actually, I'm showing it off, Clay. I have – just because there are a lot of Dolphins that are going to be there that might know me from our work, you know, and that I love chatting with on social media and I love meeting and engaging with viewers and people that are fans of the, our shows. Uh, at the same time, I'm a diehard Giant fan, so I got the perfect look, Clay. What do you think? What in the world? I'm going with the Rob Lowe NFL hat look. What do you think? He's got the, the NFL hat on. What do you think? I can, I can tell you. Because we're friends, I can tell you this. I, I actually expected more out of you. What? That's a great look. I look at that. I expected something better. I was expecting like this great Photoshop mishmash of like dolphins. No, because no, I'm going to wear the NFL hat and then I'm just rooting for the establishment. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I just. Come you, on, Clay. Look at look, that. I'm saying this as a compliment because you are like one of the most talented human beings I've ever met. Thank you. You could have done better. I love the NFL hat. <laughs> I, 
I'm gonna wear. I'm gonna buy. By the way, I looked up the hat. It cost thirty five dollars. I said no. The best I'm doing is a photo shoot. <laughs> we have friends who do this. By the way, that will like give you a compliment on the front end for the insult on the back, back end. end. Of course, oh, friends, just say his name, Dookie Lang. Dookie Lang is a pro at it. <laughs> Our producer, he goes, no, no disrespect, dis no disrespect, but, disrespect but I'm going to absolutely disrespect you right now. By the way, for those asking, not that it matters. I never root against the Giants. Of course, I'm rooting for the Giants. Will's heart. Give me a break. My heart is always with the Giants. That's my team. But I will say this, seeing the Dolphins and being with my family on a Sunday, I'm being serious. It'll be fun. And if the Dolphins win, it'll be, it'll, I'm fine. It's not like the Giants are going anywhere. It's not like I, when the, you know, when the Saints are good, any Saints loss just crushes you because you think yep. it might be a, a, a misstep to the Super Bowl run. I mean, the Giants aren't going anywhere. If they win, okay, they're five and seven. If they lose, they're four and eight. Who cares? So I, I'm really not worried about that. And by the way, I'll be on the same page as you when the Saints practice squad takes on the Dolphins in, in a few that's weeks. A month. Hey, we're going to have a show. That's that's on our air, on Local 10. That's going to be fun. All right, final uh, chat discussion. This We can make this quick, Clay. Uh, the Miami Heat, 20 games in. Your report card for the Heat, they're 13 and seven. They have the fourth best record in the NBA. Again, some fans... And, and you can't always judge by social media, but some fans are thinking that the Heat have underperformed. I, I think the Heat are exactly where they're supposed to be. They've beaten some quality teams. They've won some big games early in the season against Philly. They just beat the Bulls, a team that was hot, number two in the East before they met them. They won in Chicago without Tyler Hero. We saw them early in the season, obviously beating the Bucks. We've seen some slug it out games against middle of the pack teams that they've struggled to close. But... This is team without full complement really of health consistently and with still things that they're working through is one of the elite teams in the league. And to me, when I look at a grade, sure, I, I guess I can't give an A because they're not 16 and four, but a B plus, I mean, an A minus. The Heat have been exactly what I expected them to be. Oh, A minus because the schedule has been brutal. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been 13 awesome. games I mean, on the I, road, I by the way. 13 I don't have games a list in, the road. in front of me of the toughest schedules to start the season, but between the teams that they've played and how they've had to play them going on the road for long West Coast trip. And yeah, are there some games that they let slip? Absolutely. Course, but man, you more than made up for that by winning at Brooklyn, by annihilating Milwaukee. On opening night, I didn't yeah. like that they let the game slip in Washington, but I'm sorry, yeah. the referees were terrible down there. By the way, they beat and Utah, Utah a couple of times. I mean, they, this is a good basketball team, one of the better ones in the NBA. Yeah, I'm going A minus. Well, I am. I am a little concerned about Bam's knee, and you know, I was talking to um, Ira Winderman from the Sun Sentinel about this the other day. He said, and I didn't realize this. So Bam goes out there every day before the game, or every game day before the game. <laughs> And he works out with Malik Allen, as we've seen him do. Yeah, we see him all the time. But then yeah. they immediately send him to the trainer's room, and they measure how much swelling is around that knee. And that's mm -hmm. how they determine whether or not he can play in that game. So, Will, it's, look, I, I get sick and tired of hearing people say, oh, stop making excuses for Bam. It's not an excuse. No, no, not like at all. When yeah. you can't function, when you don't have the mobility, because your knee cannot function at the level that it needs to, he's not going to play at the level that, that we're accustomed to seeing. So, you know, I, I think that's my one major concern right now, Will. And, and honestly, if I were the Heat, I would try to find a way to rest him for a little bit. Because if you have to measure a guy's knee every game day to determine whether or not he can play, that's a problem. Yeah. Well, I think for the short term, I think Bam will have a, a, a missed game now and then. And I think back-to-backs especially are something they'll look at. I My feeling in in conversation with the team is that there is concern. You know, there, there is concern, but not to the level where they think it's something that's going to derail their season. You know, I, I think players, and, and you know this well, players sometimes 
play through pain that we don't learn about till later down the road. Right. We're like, man, that guy was this shot or dealing with this or this treatment for hours before games, after games, during games. You know, I don't think Bam has reached that point yet where the concern is it's going to derail their season. But I do think with a player of Bam's caliber and where athleticism and, and jumping and his incredible raw ability is so much of his skill set. On, on top of a skill set that has been improving. And Bam has shied away from the jumper. And, and maybe part of it is maybe he's just not getting that bounce and that feel and that on the jumper. He struggled a bit at the end of the road trip, this recent one with free throw shooting, which is very uncharacteristic of Bam. I think that to your point, they're going to have to be careful with him. You know, that is the, I guess the concern, if you're going to say after 20 games, but I still think long world, they'll understand how to manage this. Bam, remember, didn't get much of an offseason. He was with the U.S. Olympic team winning a gold right. medal. There, there hasn't been much of a break, and he's young, and, and, he, and he, man, Bam does not like to sit. But I think they'll be careful enough where I'm not too concerned yet. Now, 20 at the 40 game report, if Bam's missed six or seven games since then and he's not playing well, then maybe this conversation can be revisited. But I think as it stands now, this team is pretty much what I thought they were going to be. Yeah. And so, look, let's, be, they're a better team with Bam on the floor, even at yeah, yeah. 70%, whatever he is right now. So, I, I'm saying what I'm saying is long term, if it's better, if he's going to be closer to 100% come playoff time by stealing some some extra days off now. I would I prefer agree. to do that. Yeah. And I would also say this. He can still play defensively outstanding. I mean, he can oh, still, he's, yeah, he's still move around there. But when you see him around the basket offensively, and we saw a guy the first couple of weeks of the season who was everything that everybody had wanted to see forever on offense, mm -hmm. hitting the jump shot, more aggressive, more comfortable around the basket, more body mm -hmm. control. And then all of a sudden it goes away and it coincides with this knee injury. Like it's not hard to put two and two together. And I'm sorry, like it's not an excuse. It's reality. It's fact. No, it's a reason gonna, why he's yeah. not quite the player offensively that he was the first couple of weeks of the season. But that's also not to say that he can't get back there. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that's something to watch for again as they be, they're back home for a couple of games now, hit through it again for the holiday. Their schedule sec from January on really eases and they get a lot of home games. 13 of the first 20 have been away from home. Very quality opponents along the way. It doesn't get, by the way, this weekend, upcoming weekend, they're, I think, at Indiana and at Milwaukee. It's not like it's going to get an easier right away, but it will eventually soften up. And the fact that they could be with the fourth best record of the NBA right now at this point, even through that, is a pretty good sign. One last time, play. Still no? No? I mean, if Dookie Lang had come up with this, <laughs> I would – I'd probably give him a medal. I'd probably – actually, I'd probably ask him who actually I'll, did I'll this because I don't that. believe you can do that. This is a – yeah, well, he he probably texted me to make it for him. Uh, by the way, for, I am going to wear a – I think I'm going to go with a Daniel Jones jersey and a – a Dolphins hat or maybe a Tua jersey and a Giants hat. I'll have something of that. To that effect. Okay. Okay. I mean, if you want to wear the uh, 10 Ferrero, the local 10. Oh Ferrero. yeah. That way they can throw and say, Oh, Clay was at the game in a, in a Dolphins jersey and it won't be as bad. I don't think you can see it's three XL. Okay. Forget. I could have my kids in there. Sneak but them that in. was actually smart. Jason Jenkins with the Dolphins sent it to me. And, and because it was when we were doing our, our, all our sports cast. Yeah. Home, our, our COVID just shows. Sent me the, the biggest one they could find. So it would look good. In the background. So it if you a, decide to put on like 200 pounds between now and I will Sunday, fill it and sneak in some food. I can't wait. It's, it's been my Super Bowl for decades. One day I will see an actual Super Bowl with the Dolphins and Giants. I don't think it's going to be anytime soon. 
All right, that's your Miami Sports Pod. Maybe we'll have an emergency pod this week if the Canes make a, a hiring or firing. We'll see. Thanks for listening, subscribing, and watching. Always appreciate it.